another pot of coffee is brewing, and my fifth cup is almost finished. So that means it's time for another episode of Not Before Coffee. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, film addict, hermit, long-term depression sufferer, and a very honest caffeine fiend. As I record this, today is a cause for celebration. Not only have I managed to get over 1,600 listens in five months, which I personally think is amazing, so thank you to everyone who is listening, but it's also a day for cake and wine, which is why I mentioned it more last week. Huge congratulations have to go today to Wyndham Jennings on Twitter and Bella's Bookjar over on Instagram, who both correctly guessed that I am indeed going to be talking about 2009's star-studded but totally screwed up, he's just not that into you. Also this week, I'm going to be talking about a book you may have heard me mention before, A Bite to Remember by author Lindsay Sands, as well as what's going to be going on UK streaming services for the next week. There's a bit coming up that you may be interested in, and of course it wouldn't be a week in the coffee household if I didn't talk about what's been happening in my mental health world. There was no weird dream to get me through the week. It appears that the fact I have been absolutely mentally and physically exhausted has precluded any kind of dreams, so I'm going to get straight on into the film. As I've already mentioned, I'm going to be talking about the rom-com slash drama slash oh dear God, what the heck is going on here film, He's Just Not That Into You, which stars so many people. I'm not going to list them all now because it would take forever. It was released in 2009. The film starts with actually very, very similar style to Miss Congeniality. We're in a playground and a little girl has been pushed around by a boy who calls her a poo head. Lovely but you can kind of excuse it, he's a child. And we get the voiceover from Gigi, who is played by Jennifer Goodwin, talking about, we're always always told that boys tease us because they like us. Boys just aren't jerks because they hate you, they are jerks because they like you. And throughout our entire lives, our friends and our family perpetuate this myth. I actually have to have to be honest, I remember my first crush. It was a boy called Timothy Johnson. He was a year above me at school, incredibly popular, and I have got so many photos with him because his mum and my mum were friends. Of course, that didn't translate into a successful relationship because <laughs> we're talking, we were playground loosely, could be called playground friends. I think he put up with me because his mum would have probably slapped him had he not. Bearing in mind I grew up in the 70s and that was a common occurrence. So we meet Gigi when she is on a date. She leaves the date feeling positive but Connor, the guy she's been on a date with, as soon as he said goodbye is calling another woman, Anna, who ends up picking up a guy at the supermarket. So, so already we're at a good start. Anna isn't into Connor and you can tell this from the way she's very, very dismissive of him. In a way, she is acting exactly how he is to Gigi. Alex is a cynic, one of Connor's best friends, and he finds Connor's obsession with Anna amusing, but he doesn't say anything to deter his friend from the pursuit of Anna, who is way out of his league. Ben played by Bradley Cooper, meets Anna in a supermarket. So here we've got the Anna meeting someone and picking them up in a supermarket. He comes clean with her that he is married. He finds her attractive, but that's as far as it can go. And he needs to immediately get out of there. It turns out he's showed up to the supermarket with his friend Neil, who is played by Ben Affleck. Neil is in a long-term relationship with Beth, played by Jennifer Aniston. She is friends with Gigi and Janine as they work together. Janine is Ben's wife. 
Beth wants to get married, however, Neil isn't so keen even though they've been together for seven years. In fact, when Neil returns from the supermarket, Beth tells him that she thinks they're not being married is going against nature. Now, I'm not married and I never have been, been engaged, we won't touch that one, and I can't understand why marriage is seen as a natural thing. I'm not justifying these people who say that monogamy is unnatural, we are supposed to be a polygamous race, that I don't justify, I don't think this justifies that either. But what I don't think is that marriage is a natural state. If you love someone, you are with them, whether there's a piece of paper saying you and that person belong together or not. Gigi is getting a bit desperate for Connor to call, but he just isn't. She's reached the point where she is staring at her phone, pacing up and down in her apartment, basically begging the phone to ring. She's hanging up on her mum because she wants to find out. She basically wants to keep the phone clear just in case Connor phones her. And she is getting desperate enough that she is planning on doing a drive-by of Connor's favourite hangout. And this is the hangout where Alex works. We've already mentioned him. He's a cynic. She is so desperate. Part of me felt really sorry for her, but the other part of me was oh my gosh, just stop. This is sad. And it really was. All she wanted was somebody to call her back and ask her on another date. It won't, if it went well, he'd have phoned her instead of Anna after the date and left a message. So finally, Gigi goes to this bar where Connor regularly hangs out. However, he's not there. Alex tells her that he isn't planning on being there that evening. He does offer to call Connor on her behalf, but she says, oh no, it was just a loose, it was just a loose agreement. And then he tells her things as they are. And it's quite refreshing hearing someone say exactly what was in my head. And it was this, if a guy is acting like he doesn't give a shit, then he genuinely doesn't give a shit. Connor doesn't care about her. He's not interested in her at all. He is focused on Anna, who isn't interested in him. There is so much bad woman-to-woman advice in this film, because Anna, who has met Ben and is kind of a little bit obsessed with him. He's fascinating. He's in an industry that can help her as a singer and he's attractive. Well, to some people. Personally, I don't find Bradley Cooper attractive at all, but she finds him attractive and it's Scarlett Johansson with long blonde natural hair and looking gorgeous. He's going to find her and he does admit that he finds her attractive. She's at a salon with her friend Mary, played by Drew Barrymore, And Mary starts telling her all these wonderful tales of things she heard. Not people she knows. Oh, my mum knew this person who was with someone for 20 years. He then met his true love and left his wife for her. And they've been together for 22 years. Just as an example, there are quite a few of them in this film. So do you think you should sacrifice your happiness with the guy who could be absolutely perfect for you just because he's married. Yes, yes, you should. Because you don't know if he's happy or not in this marriage. You just know that he told you he found you attractive. Seriously, I find you attractive. I'm not attracted to women as a rule. I find Scarlett Johansson attractive. Seriously? So Mary has given her friend the go-ahead to call a married man and press her suit with him, which she does, and he dismisses her. Good for Ben. Unfortunately, not so good for Ben. Now she's given him the indicator that she's attracted, and he can't stop thinking about it. So whether it's a wise decision or not, he is going to, and you just know he's going to, make a big mistake and stick his foot in that pool that he has no business being in. And he does. When Ben finally gives in and calls Anna, 
He does it when he's at home alone. The house is a building site because his wife, Janine, has decided she wants the entire place gutted out and redone to her specifications. And the more you hear about that, I will go into how I feel about Janine in a little while. However, he doesn't do himself any favours. He's at home, hidden behind a massive great big cupboard, and Janine turns up just as he's saying goodbye to Anna on the phone. That doesn't look like someone who has got completely business-only feelings towards someone. If you if you're making a business call, I don't know about anybody else, but when I'm making a business call, I don't mind where I am as long as it's relatively quiet. I'm not going to act as though I've been caught doing something wrong when someone comes in and discovers me on the phone, which is exactly what Ben does. We find out quite a lot about Ben and Janine throughout this entire film, but one of the things Ben mentions several times is that he didn't marry her because he was in the right place and they were destined to be together. He married her because she told him either we get married or this relationship is over. And at that point, he wanted nothing more than to be with her. However, the same ultimatum doesn't work in that way for Beth and Neil. They've been together for seven years. They've got a place together. They seem relatively happy. And I think had it not been for the fact that her sister, her younger sister, was getting married, Beth would have probably still been on the whole I want to get married kick, but I don't think she'd have told Neil either we get married or it's over because there's no point. Having seen her sister, her sister's husbands, I think that her being with Neil without a wedding ring isn't necessarily a bad thing. Anyway, oh, Gigi. I completely forgot about Gigi for a few moments. Gigi has been on several dates, several disastrous dates. She was even set up for a date with one of Alex's friends, a guy called Bill. Unfortunately, Alex forgot to tell Bill the right date and he didn't show up. Which is fine because these things happen. However, it didn't work out so well for Gigi. She then started to think that Alex liked her. She has been using Alex as a sounding board, phoning him up whenever she's on her de- on a date, including a date where she's with someone, they're getting it, getting it hot and heavy in his apartment, and he tells her, "Oh, you might not hear from me for a week because I'm a going I'm going away for business and it's going to be difficult to get in touch." Immediately, alarms go off in Gigi's head. She goes into the bathroom in this guy's apartment and immediately calls Alex, who is at that moment in time on a date with someone himself. He doesn't cut the date short, but he goes into a long conversation with Gigi explaining this guy is lying to her and she just needs to get out now. Without intending to, he's leaving her with no one to date. Because... Every single time she phones him with something that's happening on a date, he tells her to run. And it's while she's sitting down watching Some Kind of Wonderful, which I actually love, it's a good John Hughes film, she comes up with the amazing idea that the reason Alex is scuppering every single date she's been on and giving her the advice that he is, is because he likes her. However, there is that possibility that she doesn't come up with she is completely misreading the signs he's treating her like a good friend and giving her advice that is valuable while beth is being chatted up at her sister's wedding by a weird wiccan called dan gigi is being an idiot alex invited her to a party and she immediately arrives takes over hosting the party when all he's done is ask her if she can help out a little bit when she arrives because she's a friend she keeps on talking to his friends as though this party was their joint idea and i can't help but feel a little bit embarrassed for her and at the same time uncomfortable 
once all the guests have gone, including a very statuesque blonde that Alex was playing a computer game of basketball with, Gigi makes her play and jumps Alex on the sofa. Alex immediately rejects her and it decimates their friendship so quickly. But then that happens when a friendship is very new and it's built on such tenuous foundations. At her sister's wedding, Beth's father collapsed and had a heart attack. Beth is now her father's carer and she is growing increasingly frustrated with her three brothers-in-law who are doing nothing to help in the house. They're sitting down, laying claim to her father's stuff. They're basically demanding that she waits on them hand and foot. So I want a beer, I want this, I want that, as though she is their slave. Things get better when Neil shows up. He's not expecting anything. He cares about her. He cares about her family. He does the washing up. He does the laundry. He goes shopping and gets food for the house. Something that Beth has been asking her brother-in-laws to do for days. And they've ignored it because we ordered takeout. Oh, they were so annoying. Anna and Ben have been having an affair. He's been showing up at her yoga studio because, of course, why wouldn't a singer also be a fitness freak yoga fanatic and instructor? should have mentioned that bit. She's a yoga instructor. They have been having a kind of awkward back and forth relationship. Anna is under the impression that he is going to leave his wife for her. Janine, in the interim, is completely unaware of anything until Ben tells her that he has been having an affair. But he told her, so that's fine. He was completely honest and told her. So as far as she's concerned, that's fine. And she wants to save their marriage. So one afternoon, when Anna and Ben are in Ben's office, getting a little bit funky... And she's down to her bra and knickers. Who should turn up but Janine? She starts knocking on the locked office door. And Ben, realising things could get quite messy, bundles Anna up and shoves her in a cupboard. And this is where he proves how much he doesn't give a shit about any of the people in his life. Because while Anna, who he claims to worship is shut in the cupboard in his office, Janine seduces him and Anna has to listen. I'm not justifying their relationship by any stretch of the imagination because she should have known better than to pursue a married man. He was honest and told her he was married, but he still partook when he shouldn't have done. And the only one in this who's kind of innocent is Janine, but she should have had the pride to just walk away, at least in my view. Anna is absolutely livid, tells Ben she doesn't ever want to see him again, and storms out of his office, wearing her slip, her bra and her underwear, and carrying her dress in her hand. What a way to have to leave an office. But then, in a way, did she not bring this upon herself? That's the bigger question. Now that Alex and... Gigi are no longer talking. Alex has absolutely lost all sense of self and sensibility. At the bar where he is manager, the bar staff are finding it quite funny that it is very clear Alex is in love. He misses Gigi and he misses her calls, but when he tries to call her, she's busy. She's not even answering her phone. It turns out that the guy that he tried to set her up with, that Gigi had started to believe didn't exist, really does. So she's arranged to go on a date with him. For all that Ben protests, he still has feelings for his wife, and he was using Anna to scratch an itch. Just as Anna is scratching an itch when she goes back to Connor to get the comfort that she isn't getting from anyone else. As I've already said, Janine was absolutely fine when Ben acknowledged and admitted that he'd been having an affair. He threw his confession at her 
as though he was absolutely trying to rip her to pieces. However, that isn't what ends their relationship. What ends their relationship is a packet of cigarettes that Janine finds in his clothing. Her father died of lung cancer and she has demanded that no one who works in the house or comes into the house smokes and that Ben never smokes a cigarette. You know how I feel about cigarettes. You know my dad died of lung cancer. Very, very tragic. Absolutely heartbreaking. But you can't dictate to somebody else what they do. Sounds awful, but I I struggled so hard to feel anything for Janine. I found her annoying, demanding, frustrating, but I didn't feel any sympathy for her. And that's so unlike me. Anyway, as soon as she's found these cigarettes in their house, anyway, as soon as she's found these cigarettes in her house, she packs all of Ben's stuff up, piles it on the stairs with a note stating, enjoy the cigarettes, I want a divorce. And that's it. While their relationship is falling apart, Beth visits Neil on his boat because when they broke up, he went and lived on his boat. Of course, that's the logical thing to do. They are finally starting to heal. She's realised that a wedding and a marriage don't automatically make everything better. And I'm guessing this is partially due to the fact that she saw her friend's relationship fall apart, being Janine, And she also saw her three lazy brother-in-laws for several months (laughs) while she was looking after her dad. And they're jerks. So being married doesn't necessarily equate to automatic happiness. (laughs) Funnily enough, the other end of the spectrum, Neil has realised that he's willing to do absolutely anything in order to win Beth back. Connor and Anna have started to sort of date I think she's using him for comfort and he's just so happy that she is using him for anything that he is seeing something that isn't there. Connor, being an estate agent, is showing houses all the time and he takes Anna to one of these houses that he's currently trying to sell and tells her that this is a house he wants to buy and he wants to make sure that she can see herself living there. It's at that point that she tells him that this isn't what she wants, or at least this isn't what she wants with him. And you can see a tiny bit of him breaking away when she finally admits the truth, that she, in a way, she's using him just as Ben was using her to scratch an itch, and just as Alex was using all these other women to scratch an itch before he finally acknowledged that Uh, He does have feelings for somebody, and that somebody is Gigi. Gigi's date with Bill, the mythical man that Alex had set her up with and then forgot to tell the right date, goes quite well. They say goodbye and then part ways at Gigi's apartment. She's just unpacking all her stuff and putting her bag away when her door goes and she's like, she opens it expecting it to be Bill and it's Alex, and he says that he can't stop thinking about her. And Gigi comes back to him with a line that he gave her at the very beginning, if someone likes you, they will do anything to see you. And that's exactly what he's done. He has abandoned post at the bar and come to see her. He's tried to get in touch with her in other ways, but she hasn't been reciprocal. And now he's laying himself bare to her because he does have feelings for her. So where does that leave everybody? By the end of the film, we have Ben and Janine separated. Janine has finally started dating again and Ben is, I'm relieved that I'm no longer married, which means he never should have been in the first place. So (laughs) six of one, half a dozen of the other in who's responsible for that marriage being a disaster they never should have married in the first place. Janine should have never given an ultimatum and Ben should have just said, this isn't right for us. But he also should never have had an affair and Anna should never have chased after him. So (laughs) there are three people in that relationship and all of them were wrong. Neil and Beth are finally going to get married, which is fantastic. 
Gigi is with Alex, which is exactly where she wanted to be. And you could kind of see that happening from the first time they met, even though it didn't feel like it was going to go that way. Mary, poor deluded Mary, who has had disaster dates and given the worst advice ever to someone who was so susceptible to bad advice. Mary is at a cafe one afternoon when she spies Connor and she knows it's Connor because she works for a newspaper that Connor has been advertising his estate agency business in. She phones him up, tells him he looks good in the latest advert. They wave at each other and there is an instant connection, which ends with them being in a very happy relationship, much more suited to each other than Anna, who was more searching for something she couldn't find, and Connor, who knew what he was looking for. So all in all, it ends happily for those that didn't start out that way. My honest feelings on this film are frustration and annoyance. We are all given the worst advice as kids, especially girls. We are told, oh, if he pulls your hair or he pinches you, he likes you. He doesn't. It's nothing to do with being unable to express your feelings. If you're hurting someone, it's not because you like them. It's kind of like saying, if your husband abuses you or your wife abuses you, they are showing how much they care about you. No, they're not. Well, they are, but they don't care about you at all. That's their level of care. So if somebody says to you, oh, well, that guy has just treated you like shit because he likes you no. Ignore it. Run a mile. Run 10 miles. Dating in the modern world has become harder and harder to navigate. I've done the online dating thing and it was full of judgment, full of people who wanted to make you be someone completely different to who you were, and full of people who lied about who they were in the first place. You're always judging by a photo rather than what they say about themselves. You don't give yourself a chance to judge on anything other than their picture or the other pictures that are in their profile. This film was one that showed you the worst side of people when they're in love or in a relationship. Ben and Janine should never have been together or at least they should never have got married. Neil and Beth have a chance. Hopefully, Gigi, who is so desperate for a boyfriend that she reminds me of girls I went to school with, should definitely take it easy because whether they seem like they're perfectly suited to each other now or not, you can't tell what it's going to be like a few years down the road. Give it time. Strangely, Connor and Mary seem very well suited. They're both quite insecure. I just wish that Mary hadn't continually used the my friend knows someone who saw this and that happened to them because that is the worst case of Chinese whispers ever. All that said, it was quite an entertaining film. The list of cast in this film is really long. Really long. When you go to IMDb, it starts with first scene rather than the actual featured cast. So you have to scroll quite a way down the list until you get to the central cast who are main roles in the film. And they are Jennifer Goodwin, Kevin Connolly, Scarlett Johansson, Bradley Cooper, Justin Long, Ben Affleck, Jennifer Aniston, Jennifer Connolly, Busy Phillips, Drew Barrymore. The list goes just on and on until you think, oh my God, so many people but they are all perfectly cast in their roles. And that is something that I appreciate in any film, whether I enjoy that film or not. There are certain elements of the film that I found fun. Things like when you saw Alex and Gigi interacting as friends, or when you just knew that Connor was going to get absolutely decimated when Anna came clean with her feelings for him but you waited for that for quite a long time. I don't normally say that I hate anyone, but I really don't like Janine. She is self-centered, selfish, and okay, so her dad died of lung cancer and her husband's been lying to her about the fact that he's smoking. 
But if that's the point that you end your relationship, rather than when he tells you in an argument that he's been sleeping with another woman, then you've got to check your priorities. A perfect example of how unbelievably unreasonable she could be has to be when they were in this hardware shop and Ben is showing her two samples of flooring. One of them is laminate, one of them is hardwood. She picks the laminate flooring and he says, oh great, you can't tell the difference, so we'll get the laminate. Janine responds with, no, we'll get the hardwood. And he says, but this is 10 times more expensive. I don't care, I don't like anything that's pretending to be something it's not. You get that feeling that there is a double-edged message with that one, that she doesn't believe that her husband hasn't been smoking. But at the same time, either she trusts her husband because he came clean with her about having an affair, or she doesn't trust her husband. And she's constantly questioning every single thing he does, which makes him very insecure, which then leads him to do things he shouldn't, not justifying it, really not going to justify it. But at the same time, you can almost say, if you are that way inclined to say, she pushed him away. And it does strike me as that being the thing she did. Oh my God, that's such appalling English. I apologise. But it feels like she pushed him away, almost intentionally, as though she sensed he was going to leave anyway, because he wasn't happy. We know he wasn't happy. But at the end of it all, they both end up alone, so no one won anything. And it did feel like a competition at times. So there's my feelings on he's just not that into you. I would recommend watching it. It's kind of like a Sunday afternoon with a glass of wine film, I suppose. I wouldn't say it's the kind it's the sort of film that you need to think over much about. I know I didn't. I watched it and I made notes about it while I was thinking about something else entirely. But at the same time, I did still pay attention to the key plot points and the characters that frustrated me more than anything. I grew to like Gigi. It took time because all she did was remind me of a few girls that I went to school with who were always so desperate to have a boyfriend they weren't allowed to be single. Being single was against the law. Well, it wasn't. They just made it their little group law. Being single is so wrong. If you're single, nobody loves you. No, if you're single, you're making the right decision for you at that point in time. But they, as far as they were concerned, being single was wrong. Now that we've looked at the film I focused most of my attention on over the last few days, I'm going to have a look at what's coming to the streaming services in the UK over the next week. You can definitely tell we are heading into the last week of the month. In fact, we really are heading into the last week of the month because I get paid next Friday. Yay! With the promise of brand new content coming our way on the 1st of March, Netflix is adding just a few films and shows this week at least in English. I think they've been adding quite a lot in Spanish, German and Norwegian to the platform in the last couple of weeks. On the 18th of February, we have a film called Legacy of Lies, which is about an MI5 agent. So perhaps that's one the Spy Hard guys will want to review. As well as long-awaited German dystopian drama series, Tribes of Europe. See, I said there were foreign language programmes coming to the platform. On the 22nd, we have the gender swap remake, What Men Want, plus a show from comedian Brian Regan called On The Rocks. We also have a true story about fake art, wow, that's a little bit of a tongue twister, called Made You Look. I like that title. On the 24th, we have a programme about dogs called Canine Intervention, a true story about Capone called Creatively Capone, which stars Tom Hardy, and season one of single mum drama Ginny and Georgia. Finally, on the 25th, we have a film by Catherine Bigelow based during the Detroit riots of 1967, starring John Boyega and Anthony Mackie, titled Detroit. Over on Amazon, the list is again nice and compact. When isn't it? 
with comedy crime thriller I Care A Lot starring Rosamund Pike and Peter Dinklage in which Pike plays a woman who makes her living deceiving judges into making her legal guardian for the vulnerable and elderly and she finally gets her comeuppance when she dips her foot into a gangster's pool. On the 19th we also see the arrival of 2019's Oscar winning Bohemian Rhapsody the biographical film about the life of Freddie Mercury. And on the 20th, we are treated, and I'm using that term incredibly loosely, to the arrival of Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh yay, such fun! This coming week, the catalogue over at Disney Plus is growing to twice the size, thanks to the launch of Disney Plus Star. But before we get there, we have another Disney Plus film called Flora and Ulysses, which stars Alison Hannigan and is about a superhero in a squirrel's body. And no, I am not talking about Squirrel Girl, I'm sorry. The original Muppet Show also arrives on the platform on the 19th, so it's time to play the music, it's time to light the lights, da 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 da, Muppet Show tonight. Yep, it's the original. Of course, we are also going to be treated to episode 7 of WandaVision on Friday. Apparently, it's getting super exciting now. And I'm saying, God, that sounded so exciting. It's, it really is apparently getting super exciting. My mum was talking about it today and I had to say to her, stop, don't tell me anything. I can't wait to watch the entire thing all in one sitting. And I'm, I am positive it's going to be a fun ride. As I've already mentioned, Disney Plus Star gets its premiere on Tuesday the 23rd. And with that launch, we get films like Beaches, Conair, Gross Point Blank, and 9 to 5, plus new shows like Love Victor and Solar Opposites. Of course, that is UK programming and films, because every region will be different. In fact, I believe that Love Victor and Solar Opposites are Hulu products, and we don't have Hulu in the UK. If you're a massive fan of horror films, which isn't me, but I still like listening to people talking about them, and also love a generous portion of true crime, then I have the absolute perfect podcast for you. Once Upon a Nightmare, hosted by the amazing Lorraine, who you've heard on here a couple of times, is released every Tuesday, and it's launched relatively early, I think it's midnight or something, on Tuesday, and it features films and true crime in alternate episodes. It is an amazing show, really well researched, not too gory, which is why I can listen without going, oh my god, that's so horrible. Though I still think, oh my god, that's so horrible. And I think that if you love that kind of show, you will definitely love this. Hello, this is Lorraine, your host from Once Upon a Nightmare. Every Tuesday, I like to delve into the horrors of the world, be it fiction or real. I've had a healthy and what some will call a strange obsession with true crime and horror movies for well over 30 years now. So if those two topics pique your interest, then please go check out Once Upon a Nightmare podcast. It is available on multiple platforms. And don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Thank you. Of course, don't go over there until you've heard the rest of this episode. As I record this, I am celebrating my actual birthday. Yes, I was born on the same day as Jerry O'Connell. I haven't done anywhere near the amount of reading this week that I wanted to, and I'm on holiday, so it's really quite sad, but I have started a fair few books. The book I'm talking about today is the sixth book of the Arjunot series by Lindsay Sands, A Bite to Remember. It was originally published by Avon Books in the US back in February 2007, so it's now 14 years old. But when you're reading or rereading a series, you have to go back to the beginning. And this series is getting quite long. I think there's about 23 books in it right now. I have to be honest, this is a regular reread for me. I picked this up at the beginning of last year after talking about it on another podcast that I used to do with a friend called Romance Isn't Dead. And in one of those episodes, we talked about the first book in the series, which is called A Quick Bite. Of course, I had to then start reading them from the beginning again. I like my vampire romances. And I really wanted to read the book about Lucian, who is the patriarch of the Arjuno family. I knew that I had it. In fact, all I could think was, I know I've got that book somewhere. 
And after realising that I wasn't going to be getting anything from the library at any point in the near future, courtesy of the fact that the libraries are closed, yay lockdown, I went and searched on my bookshelf and found it. And I think I've got about seven others. So I picked it up, put it on the coffee table and then let it sit there for a couple of weeks. So here is my honest review of Bite Me If You Can, the sixth book in the Arjuno series by Lindsay Sands. I enjoyed it. No. <laughs> oh God, that's all. Awesome. That is not the whole review. Lucian Argeno has layers of human clumsiness to his character. Once he acknowledges that the unsuspecting and relatively unwilling Lee is his life mate, the one woman meant to be for him, he's been alone for thousands of years, he is endearing. He is still gruff and growly because he has to be, he's a man in a position of responsibility over people who can misbehave quite badly and when they misbehave it can be worse than a tiny bit destructive they're vampires but he has elements of humanity about him that are completely unexpected he is somewhat vulnerable especially when he realizes that lee may actually not be interested in him at all especially given she was in a relationship with someone, she was married to someone who was incredibly abusive to her and she may want to continue her life alone. She's been turned into a vampire and she is strong, independent and was incredibly determined before she was unfortunately turned into a vampire by a psychotic and megalomaniacal vampire called Morgan for one of his misguided followers. One of the things that strikes me in all of the Arjunot series is that not every single woman is a stick-thin perfect model of a woman and this is really brought home when Lee asks Lucian about her turning and why she hasn't changed in any way. And he tells her about his nephew Etienne's soulmate, Rachel. Rachel was disappointed she didn't suddenly turn stick thin, but she wasn't meant to be. Now she's secure in the knowledge that she's a perfect Rachel. The nanos that actually change the Arjunos into the vampires they are, and they originated in Atlantis. And <laughs> me talking about this is quite funny given I watched Atlantis The Lost Empire last night. These nanites are not making you into what you believe is perfect. They are making you into the perfect that you are meant to be. So while she lost some weight in order to maintain a healthy body and a healthy mind as a vampire, because of course you don't die, well actually you can, but that's another tale, she is not stick thin and nor is that always perfect. There's another scene in the book, Lucian goes to a bookstore and he is really helpless. He's gone there essentially because he's received advice from his nephews, who clearly know absolutely nothing, to, that he needs to get advice on women. He goes to the bookshop to get relationship books. He's a handsome man, but he has no ability to converse with Lee especially now that he's admitted and acknowledged that he's attracted to her and that she is meant to be his lifelong soul partner. Another really cute touch that I love about these books is, especially my copy, it's an original US paperback from 2007. They have tiny little sketches at the start of every chapter of Julius, who happens to be the family's dog. There are a lot of things I enjoy about this book, <laughs> loads, otherwise I wouldn't continue rereading it every single year. It's the fact that it's not just about the men rescuing the women, or the cliche of a helpless woman who needs a man. These life mates claim each other, it's not a one-sided thing at all. They belong to each other and they are equal partners in everything. 
As with every single book that you ever read, there is a twist. The plot twist in this book takes place really close to the end of the book. And though it normally frustrates me when there are just 10 pages left to sort the storyline out, this one it didn't. And I think that is because the majority of the story is about the two life mates getting to grips with each other. So Lucian and Lee are getting to know each other. And their story is a mix of comedic and tragic. It's comedic because Lucian is so unsure of himself and lacks confidence when it comes to the idea of wooing the one woman who has been designed for him. And tragic because the reason he's been alone for thousands of years is because he watched his own wife and children die. That's not obviously detracting from the fact that Lee has had a pretty tragic life. She lost her parents young, she was brought up by her grandfather, she lost him when she was just starting out on her own, and married a man that she loved, or she thought she loved, only to discover that he was actually an abusive and manipulative potential murderer. Lovely. All of these things give both Lee and Lucian depth that they need in order for me as the reader to find some empathy for them. Lucian in the books that came before this one is grumpy, gruff, controlling, the one who's in charge and he has to be all of those things because of that. He's the one that the rest of the family turn to when they need a problem solved. In Bite Me If You Can, he becomes more human. Well, kind of human. He's a vampire. He, how human can you really get? Or at least I'd say he becomes a little less untouchable. I'd recommend you read this, but I would recommend you start with the first book in the series. I will post a link to the author page and the book list so you know where to start and you also see how far you've come or how far I've come. I've been reading them for 14 years and I have still got a few to go because there are some that I'm struggling to get hold of that I'm probably going to end up investing in thanks to book vouchers. A reader's best friend. <laughs> After the library but of course with library shut it's a bit of a moot point. this week. It's been a bit of a discovery week for me. I've had time off, as I mentioned in my last episode, and as I record this, I am three days into my full week. It's hump day. I don't always record on hump day, trust me. This is very, very last minute for me. But I didn't want to not have an episode out this week because I'd done all the research. And... I've been giving a lot of thought to what I want from life. It sounds strange, but as much as I love writing, and I do, I don't know if I want to do it for a living anymore. And this is between me, you and the gatepost. It is something I've been thinking about for a while. I love writing. And when I didn't used to write for a living, I was able to write creatively I wrote short stories, I wrote fan fiction, which at some point I might talk about a bit more. And I really enjoyed it. It was a fantastic creative outlet for me. Unfortunately, once I started writing for a living, that particular aspect of myself kind of did a vanishing trick. It was like my muse all of a sudden went, oh, you don't need to write anymore and it was gone. When Nano came up at the end of last year, I contemplated doing it, and then I realised that there was no way I was going to be able to produce anything near 50,000 words. In fact, I'd be lucky if I was able to produce 5,000 words. And as much as I appreciate that 5,000 words is still something, and it is going in the direction that you want to go in. It's not what I want anymore. I want to be able to produce something that I'm proud of. So I've been doing a lot of thinking about what I really want. I don't know if that is also to do with the fact that I aged another year. Okay, 
do I really age another year on my birthday? I don't think you age another year. You age another day, granted, but the only thing that changes on your birthday is the number. That's it. Because another year has passed, but every single day in that year, you've been aging a day. So you don't suddenly get to your birthday and go, I've aged an entire year. You've aged an entire year since your last birthday, but every single day you're aging a bit more. Oh God, that's depressing. But I do wonder if the fact that I hit my birthday has made me start to consider what I want again. I do tend to get kind of nostalgic and sentimental around my birthday. I think about all the things I've accomplished and all the things I wanted to accomplish. And then I <laughs> I tick them off on a list. Yes, I have a list. And this year, I didn't tick off very much. Granted, we've been kind of stuck at home for the last... 11 months. In fact, I've been stuck at home for 11, for 12 months come the 12th of March this coming year. So, of course, I'm not going to have achieved a lot of the things I set out for, like getting a few more holidays under my belt or a little bit more travel experience under my belt. But there are other things that I haven't been able to do that I should have been able to do. So perhaps now is the time to pull my finger out and get out there, metaphorically speaking. Does anybody else feel this way when it comes to their birthday? Or is it just me? So that's it, I guess, for this week. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I release a new one every week. So if you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends or family and post a review either on iTunes or Podchaser or something else. I think you can even leave reviews on my website, which is notbeforecoffee.co.uk. You can follow me on Twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs or on Instagram at raise reading room, though that will be changing. I will talk about that later. Well, I need another cup of coffee as I definitely have not had enough today. So I'm going to head into the kitchen and put the kettle on. Until next time, this is me saying farewell. <laughs>